entering the Freedom Hut. The Senate impeachment trial has dragged on all week. We'll have the latest for you, plus why you should feel some pride at what's going on. I'll have that for you. And also, uh, what happens when somebody who has actually paid off their student loan debt talks to Elizabeth Warren? And does Biden think that illegal aliens are more American than Americans? That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Man, it's Friday. Producer Mark, it, it flew by this week. It flew by. You know, it was a quick. I one. guess that's what happens when you only work four days in a week. Oh, it's like that, huh? That's all right. Yeah. So, what were you? Were you on honeymoon for like six months or something? Two weeks. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So we got a lot to get to today for you folks here in the hut. I actually didn't even mention this at the top of the show, which you know, if if we were uh, doing a a breakdown of the the traditional radio skills, you're always supposed to tell people what you're going to talk about, and then that's a promise to the audience. My brain goes in a lot of different directions over the course of the show, so sometimes I forget things. Sometimes producer Mark gets a little surly, and we have to uh, address that. And and sometimes there's just other stuff that breaks during the show. Um, but rarely do I leave off the, for me, the top news item at the top of the show. So this is kind of like a fun, a fun surprise, um, a, a thing that you wouldn't expect. And that is we have new information uh, that confirms what I've been telling you all along. This uh, shouldn't be even a little bit surprising at this point, uh, because we were lied to by many, many, many people about what was really going on with the Carter Page FISA, uh, uh, the FISA surveillance, right? And this this goes all the way back. And if I can, I'll take you on a little trip this Friday down memory lane. In the early days, uh, what was it? This the what was it? 20, 2017 going into twenty eighteen. People were starting to think. Hold on a second. What really is going on here when it comes to the investigations of Russia? Was there spying on the Trump campaign? In the, in the early moments when that was raised as a possibility, there were all of these people who rushed out there, you know, James Comey and McCabe and the, the National Security Media Industrial Complex, all these people who are generally deeply unimpressive bureaucrats who would go on TV at CNN and MSNBC doing the work of partisans while pretending to be nonpartisan experts, that's the best way. If you want to be a national security expert, the best way to do it is to pretend you have no partisan acts to grind. And when, of course, you do. You're not going to get on TV at CNN unless you're an expert, unless you're somebody who has a specific knowledge useful in the trashing and opposing of Donald Trump and all those who support him. But... The idea that there was spying on the Trump campaign was ridiculed at first. We, we have to remember this. It was ridiculed. Oh, what a conspiracy theory. Kind of like what they're saying now about Ukrainian government efforts to interfere in the U.S. election. Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Or, or that Hunter Biden, maybe there was something corrupt going on there. I mean, there was something corrupt. Just a question whether it was criminal. Oh, but they call that a conspiracy theory as well. Okay, so we go back, though, to the first days, the first weeks and months of the, the consideration, even, of spying on the Trump campaign. And it was 
something that we were mocked initially for. And then when it came out, oh, no, in fact, there there was a, a process investigation, but it, it was a good investigation. You see, that's what they told us, because you know, Russia, 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 Trump, Russia collusion, the Kremlin, Putin's puppet, traitor, all this stuff. They threw all this stuff at you. And one of the great problems we have with holding the media and the left um, and the Democratic Party accountable for their lies is what I always call the slow roll technique. Right, the slow roll technique. Politics has a momentum. People focus on something and then they focus on something else. Anybody who's ever worked in PR understands this quite well. Anyone who's ever had to do any public communications knows. And this is why if you're a specialist in crisis communications, there are certain there's certain tools that one uses, including for very unsavory clients. But sometimes very savory ones need crisis communications to make sure that you minimize the perception impact against your client. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to extend anything, uh, you know, to, to extend out if you can. If it's going to come out right away, you get ahead of it. But if it's going to take a while, you slow roll it. You want it, okay, well, let's, let's drop this. It's another version of, of the timing that you see at work from the government, from corporations, from individuals. The Friday, you know, afternoon before a long weekend document dump, right? That's a, another a perfect example of this. These are ways that people are trying to manipulate and shape and direct perception. Now, I'm talking to you about this because the entirety of the Russia collusion conspiracy theory, which is what it was, we now know that based on all the facts, based on exhaustive investigation, a conspiracy theory that has destroyed for anyone who is honest and serious, destroy the, the pretense that the media has that they're not partisans, that they don't take a particular side of these political arguments. That's gone. I mean, it has been gone for a long time if you've been paying close attention. But after Russia collusion, we know that no longer exists. But we found out that there was spying, right? We found out that there was spying. And then they said the spying was duly predicated. It was acceptable. It was fine. It was necessary, in fact necessary to protect the republic spying on a presidential campaign my friends attorney general barr has said it god bless him for standing behind that assessment of what is clear bold reality obama's top national security officials engaged in spying on the trump campaign on an official connected to the Trump campaign, including all the communications of everybody that he was talking to, looking to see what was going on there for eight months. And they've told us all along, oh, well, it was necessary. And then they said, OK, it was necessary, but there were there might have been some mistakes in the process. This is what came after the inspector general report. Might have been some mistakes in the process, but ultimately it was all legitimate and there was no political bias. This is what they tell us. No political bias. Turns out that's a little bit untrue. There was no problem with any of this, that this was duly, um, duly predicated and legitimate investigation. Story up today. Carter Page FISA warrant lacked probable cause. The DOJ has admitted in a declassified assessment. At least two. Remember, there are four FISAs on Carter Page. Each one is two months long, have to be renewed. At least two of them, the Department of Justice has now had to come forward when they're doing this review internally of their Pfizer procedures, were illegitimate. 
That means that they continue to spy on an American citizen tied into a presidential campaign. American citizen who has never, not only have they never brought a charge against him, they've never even been able to insinuate as slimy as McCabe and Weissman and these other left-wing hacks trying to take Trump down are. They've never even been able to produce the, the, the beginnings of evidence that Carter Page was disloyal to his country or even considered being disloyal to his country. Carter Page is one of the most mal unfairly maligned people in America of the last you know, decade. People were calling, people still call him a traitor. I was in the green room at Fox News not long ago with a female Democrat contributor who was still saying Carter Page is a traitor. I don't care what the report says. Well, what are we going through all this for then? Well, this is where the, this is where the Democrats are, though. They've, they've constructed all these narratives. They believe them. They've tied their identity to it. They believe so strongly in Trump as a traitor to his country and that other people around him worked with Russia to steal the election that they'd rather continue to believe that than accept that they were duped and they're just not that smart. Because they just aren't that smart. And people never want to believe that. Much better to deny evidence than to accept the reality of just not nearly being as clever and bright as one had thought before. Humility is a beautiful thing. Humility is something that we should all embrace, especially when, we've, when we need a little humility, when we deserve it. Uh, libs don't do that, though. Better to double down continue with an air of unearned intellectual superiority, uh, all the virtue signaling they've done on this and so many other issues, when the facts are clearly against them, just ignore the facts. Get more angry, become more shrill, yell louder. Carter Page is a traitor, they say. Based on what? Now the Department of Justice, this just came out last 24 hours. Two of the four FISA warrants were not predicated Properly. That means there was no justification for them. So now the, the person that they used among the most sensitive surveillance tools the federal government has, it's effectively a national security carve out to get around the Fourth Amendment. That is what FISA is. And it's all the self-licking ice cream cone of the bureaucracy. They, they make sure that the only people that get to see this are the same people that get to make the decisions about whether or not it should be allowed. There's no real gatekeepers here. As we know, the FISA court is a rubber stamp. But we always assumed uh, improperly, as it turns out, we had been led to believe that they would only use this against terrorists and, uh, terrorists and spies. Turns out they used it against the presidential campaign of Donald Trump. They were fishing. Now, I had said this to you many times before. Part of the problem here, I think, for these FBI officials is that they believed, they believed some of them the early stories about Russia collusion. They believe that there must be something there. And then they opened up this FISA on Carter Page. And then they renewed it. And they got nothing. Well, at that point, and they also, by the way, were, had to deal with the reality of Donald Trump winning the election. So you look at this and you say, well, hold on a minute. It's not what we... They had assumed... Going into Russia collusion, going into you know, the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the assumption was Hillary Clinton's going to win. That's what they thought. And that way, no matter what, they would just be considered, you know, great patriots, get a pat on the head from, from Hillary when she became the commander in chief. And maybe they even get a scalp or two of somebody from the Trump campaign, which they then get to offer up. And maybe that makes them director. Right? You can understand the motivations 
of some of the people, not just ideological motivations of those inside the FBI who were using this for their own purposes. But then why would they why would they double down? Why would they push for a Pfizer renewal when they had no information to support that renewal? And as we know, even in the initial two phases of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act on Carter, usage on Carter Page, that there were mistakes, lots and lots of mistakes, egregious mistakes, withholding information, everything else. But these last two, they've said they weren't even they weren't even close to passing muster. And we don't know yet if the first two passed muster. They haven't they haven't ruled on that yet. Now, why am I so focused in on this? Because this has been this is the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. There's no question. There's nothing else that even comes close. There were Democrat deep state operatives working under the Obama administration in collusion with the American liberal press that tried to thwart Trump from winning the election and then after it tried to tear down his election. And we have a Senate trial going on this week where they're trying again to do that. But Russia-Trump collusion was, this was a saga for almost three years, a special counsel, countless hours of news coverage devoted to this. This became the way that dishonest leftists in the media built whole careers on this. Rachel Maddow, night after night, huge ratings while she did this whole Kremlinology conspiracy. It might as well have been, you know, mystery science theater with people laughing at the screen. It's absurd what was going on. But when you look at how they've extended out the timeline, how long it takes for us to finally get the facts, imagine being able to go back to the beginning of this debate, this national discussion about spying on the Trump campaign. Oh, it didn't happen. No, it happened, but it was really necessary because they're bad guys. Oh, no, it happened. We made some mistakes, but it was still necessary. And now, oh, no, this wasn't even justified under any circumstances. Spying on a presidential campaign wasn't justified under any circumstances. By the way, never forget, they keep saying Carter Page wasn't that important. Carter Page... Well, their whole premise was Russia-Trump collusion with Carter Page for Trump to win the election. So they they were this. He was being spied on in his capacity as a person connected to the Trump campaign. And when they say, oh, but but he had left the Trump campaign, they thought they were going to uncover the efforts that they thought existed before he left the campaign to collude with Russia, as well as being able to suck up all of his old communications, because I know how this stuff works. They could suck up everything that was in his email inbox, all of that, as well as look at who he was in communication with. I mean, it's like it's like having a bunch of FBI guys sitting in the room with you while you're typing everything on your computer. They see everything. Not even justified. Imagine, imagine the outcry that the American people, well, the honest ones who aren't just anti-Trump zealots, which unfortunately a big chunk of the country but normal americans imagine the outcry if we were able to say right away that the spying on the trump campaign done by appointees and and people that work for the obama administration those are the ones that are signing off on this those are the ones you know comey and mccabe and brennan and these people imagine if we were able to say immediately that this is what happened that the spying was not was not justified. Duly predicated is just a fancy way of saying not justified, not legitimate, not legal. They falsified things. They omitted things. They lied about things. They wanted to double down because once they had already crossed that Rubicon of spying on a presidential campaign, they might as well just keep fishing, make it seem like there's something there even when there's not.
I think some people in the FBI thought they would just get away with this and it would always remain secret because Hillary would be president. But there were others who probably figured, well, now we have to make something out of nothing. We have to make it look like there's something there or else, oh, my, what have we done? Just remember this because it's taken us now we're in year four of Trump's first term. It's taken us four years from Trump's election to get to this point where we can finally say that there were Democrat deep state operatives who spied illegally, unjustly on the Trump campaign. That happened on Obama's watch. It is the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. And the media pretends like it's nothing after lying to us and saying it was all justified the whole time. No, it was not. So let's not let them use the slow roll to get out of what this really means. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm glad our leader started by saying that the president has said that he is going to cut Social Security. And this reminded me of in the midnight hour on Tuesday when Cipollone got up and said that the president is a man of his word. I wrote on my notebook, what a whopper. That's not the only time. The House managers. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Everyone's laughing. (laughs) They're trying to destroy a presidency, folks. I'm, gl- I'm glad it's all so humorous, right? Chuck Schumer's there. She doesn't mean a hamburger. And Maisie Hirono, the dumbest person in Congress. This is the Democrats put forward on this. What, what a scam. But I, I have good news for you. There, there is an upside to all this that I want to remind you of. There's something that we should all be, we should all take some pride in, actually, this week as we see this all play out. I'll tell you about it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we've all had to sit around and hear a lot. If you've been paying attention to the media, you've been watching what's going on. We've we've had all of these uh, countless hours of, of lectures from Adam Schiff about how much he loves the Founding Fathers, the Constitution, Thomas Paine, George Washington, Ukraine cares a lot about Ukraine. I mean, have you ever seen Democrats care as much about a country as they do about Ukraine all of a sudden? Wow. I would, you know, they always do this thing where they ask people, they ask, you know, average Americans to find something on a, on a map, you know, find Iran on a map. We talked about that recently, which again, people are used to seeing things with names on a map. I get it. But you should know Iran is not, you know, there are people who thought it was in America. That's a little bit of a problem. Um, I would love to see if you did the same thing, if you ran the same experiment, how many of these members of Congress, without names on a map, if you just gave them the, the countries all on a blank map with the borders shown, how many of them could actually find Ukraine? Um, I, I, would, I would bet money. I would bet money that Maisie Hirono could not. And, I, and I'm just telling you, I would bet you money that she would not be able to do it if someone just presented. And I think we should know if it's going to be so funny to find out about how average Americans who have other things going on in their lives, who aren't sitting on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee or aren't involved in all these discussions about Ukraine. It's all, oh, look, people can't find this. And look, we should be better at geography as a country than we are. That's that's true. But these members of Congress are imbeciles. A lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and I think that it's what's good for the it's the second time I've used this phrase this week. It was good for the goose, is good for the gander. I feel like that's kind of an old-timey old timey phrase. Um, so it's a gaggle of geese, right? I think that's right. Is, is it pretty smart? Yeah. A murder of crows is my favorite, though. You know, that's what, that's what a group of crows is called, a murder of crows. 
There's some cool names for groups of animals out there. So it's a fun trivia fact. Next time you're at a cocktail party or you're on a date and you run out of things to say, be like, have you downloaded the Buck Sexton show? He's amazing. Check him out on the iHeart app. And then once you've gotten past that, if that still doesn't start, if that doesn't get the party going, be like, do you know what you call a group of crows, sir or madam? Sometimes I wonder why you're single. Now I don't. <laughs> this is one of the moments I don't. That's cold, man. I know. That's cold. Yeah. It's gotten, gotten frosty in here. I have to put on a jacket because of producer Mark. And it's always cold in here. That is true. It actually is a little, little, bit, little bit frigid. So anyway, um, why should we be... Taking a little bit of, if not, I mean, I said pride. You could say that there's certainly a a, a feeling of uh, there's a silver lining here. There's some solace you can take from this this complete sham this week, where they're arguing in an election year to remove. Remember when not confirming a a uh, you know left wing approved judge in an, in an Obama in the uh, Clinton Trump election year. Remember when that was like some grave insult to, to the will of the people? The Democrats are, oh, you know, we're all supposed to sit around like Merrick Garland. What happened with Merrick Garland? And who cares? Uh, but the Democrats acted like it was a huge affront to the Constitution. Uh, now we're going into election year and they don't really want to allow the American people to make the choice of who will be the president of the United States for the next four years. Um, that is happening and it's troubling to see. But we also have to remind ourselves of the following. In a way, all of this should have been expected. Of course, the left, which is increasingly insane, the Democratic Party, which is increasingly socialist, the totalitarian libs, of course, they absolutely despise this president and are doing everything in their power and then some. They will break any rule. They will knock down any regulation. There are no guardrails that will keep them on any path when it comes to Trump. They, anything that destroys Trump is all that is needed. That's all that they care about. But here's why there's, there's a sense that, that we, we are at least, we are reminded that this shows we've been right all along. Trump came into office without ever having held elected office before, not being a politician, saying he was going to drain the swamp. He was going to be a disruptive president. He was going to shake things up. He was going to upset the elites. He was going to upend the establishment. We heard all of that. And that's what's happening. So, of course, they are throwing everything at him. Of course, they're flailing and that desperation that I've been talking to you about is all coming out now. We're seeing it. We feel it. Because this is their worst nightmare. It is impossible to look at the last three years, going into now the last year of his first term, and say that he's a bad, you know, they say he's a terrible president, the country's in bad shape, you know, everyone should be upset about this. No reasonable person has that conclusion. Only ideologically driven people can have that conclusion. Not fighting some horrible war. I mean, think about when I, you know, when I came out of college and there were two wars going on and I joined the CIA and, you know, people are coming back and friends of mine are going to Walter Reed and people are getting limbs blown off and there's PTSD and there's, you know, we're, what are we doing in these wars? Can we win these wars? All these things that are going on. You know, economy drops like a rock at the end of Bush's second term and Obama comes in, all this spending. All, you, you look at all these things. The country is doing better now than at any point in the last two presidencies. 
So it's not even just, you know, it's such an easy thing in conservative media in particular. To, oh, Obama's, you know, a bad president. He was. But Trump is better than Bush. Trump is, is better than Clinton. I mean, you know, go back. I mean, how many presidencies? The only presidency in my lifetime that you'd say, okay, maybe this guy's achievements line up against Trump's are Reagan. And some of you might even start to, well, you know, you need to see what happens if Trump gets four more years and Reagan defeated the Soviet Union. I mean, let's give let's give Dutch credit where it's due. But come on. That's the reality of what's happened. And so, you know, while we're seeing this play out and it's so obvious and grotesque and the Democrats will say anything and, you know, oh, they're complaining about the rules. It's not a fair trial in the Senate, but it wasn't a fair impeachment in the House. So. Why all of a sudden should we feel the need to give them what they want when they just shoved it on our faces when they had the votes? You go through all of this. And the one piece of comfort that I like to give you or the one piece of solace in this whole process is they're doing this to Trump because he didn't sell out. They're doing this to this president because he is delivering on promises. He does not bend the knee to the media. He does not care what the establishment thinks about him. He has kept the faith with those of us who have voted for him. That is why they hate him so much. And so while we see the hatred playing out, we see the animosity, we see this this fervent desire to tear this president down, to just, you know, rip his presidency to shreds. Remember, as much as we have to be vigilant and understand who the enemy is and take very seriously that they would remove him from office if they could, which fortunately doesn't look like they can, they absolutely will do everything they can to defeat him in the election uh, coming up this fall. But this is all happening because they hate him so much for all the reasons we want them to hate him. They hate him because he tweets and, and fights back against the media. They hate him because he does not play the game the way they want. They hate him because today President Trump is speaking to the March for Life, something that previous presidents, March for Life has been going on for decades, previous Republican presidents did not deign to put on their schedule. Presidents who said that they were pro-life. You've got 100,000 people who are going to be marching for the most clear-eyed, morally righteous cause you could find. And it is this president, for all of his, you know, personal shortcomings in his own life, whatever, it is this president who will speak to the March for Life and bring them even further into the American consciousness and perhaps more into the mainstream. And the media is going to do everything they can to downplay this. But this is a march of 100,000 people that happens every year that's got a very straightforward message. Let's save babies' lives. Very straightforward. President Trump is the one who says, I will stand with them publicly at their most important event. That's why they hate him. That's why Adam Schiff is going through all these histrionics. It's why Nancy Pelosi will use any trick in her book. It's why the media has debased itself. I mean, the mainstream media has gone to the ends of the earth already trying to tear this guy down because he has done all of the things that make them upset that we would want him to do. So just remember that this week, as we have this Senate trial and we're going through this impeachment process, they are impeaching Trump because he kept faith with you as a Trump voter. 
They are impeaching him because he didn't sell out and he didn't bend the knee. That should make you feel better going into this week. And that should make all of us who support what this president is doing, especially today as he is speaking to the March for Life, that should make us all feel a bit of pride. And honestly, a bit of thanks that this is where the country is right now. It won't always be this way. There are socialists all over the horizon, my friends. Things are going to get ugly and things are going to get worse than they are now. It's just a question of when. But for right now, this president has kept his promises. He hasn't sold us out. And that is the most... In re- I, I've usually said, and I would, I would modify perhaps this a little bit, that what upsets the left the most about Trump are his successes. That is true. But it's his successes while doing what he promised the base he would do and keeping the faith with them. The people that defied conventional political wisdom and gave this brash billionaire, as everybody calls him, you know, three marriages, reality TV star, casino magnate, all this stuff you heard about him, gave this guy a chance. He has been the fighter that he said he would be. He has pushed the policies he said he would push, and he has not given an inch to these lib totalitarians that want to control everything in your life and do so badly and expect you to say thank you. Not this guy, not Trump, not on his watch. Remember that as they give their speeches during the Senate trial about how he should be removed. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The fact that the president only wanted a public announcement and not the investigations to actually be conducted demonstrates that his desire for investigations was simply and solely to boost his reelection efforts. There are many false premises, excuse me, many false premises that uh, this president relies on. I'm sorry, that this impeachment relies on Uh, many false uh, things, including that the investigation For example, the request for it is illegitimate. The request for it is not illegitimate. Um, There's plenty of reason to believe that Hunter Biden was engaged in some sort of corrupt scheme. There are reports to that end. Asking to look into something is within the prerogative of the president of the United States when it affects an American interest in a country where we're giving money, corruption. I'm sorry, it's legitimate. But notice how Schiff skips to this. There are all these conclusions that are force fed to the people, all these things that you have to buy into for their narrative about impeachment of this president to hold together at all. And one of them is that now we're being told he didn't want the investigation. He just wanted an announcement of them. How would it how would just an announcement of an investigation? Does, does anyone really think that that was a game changer for the Trump presidency? I mean, let's be realistic for a second. Hillary Clinton was being investigated when she was running for president for committing a felony, which she did commit. And Democrats still all voted for her. Can we we just apply some common sense, some reason, some understanding of history and precedent to this? The big scheme here was just to get an announcement of an investigation into Hunter Biden. This wouldn't have changed a vote. It's not even this is what the Democrats keep doing, though. They come up with some elaborate conspiracy that they can't prove, whether it's Russia Trump collusion in the election or now this Ukraine investigation, Hunter Biden thing. They come up with this this elaborate scheme. They hyperventilate over how damaging it is, how dangerous it is. And and then they never actually stop and think, 
is this is this even a good plan from the perspective of the person putting it forward? Would it even work? I remember being in the Oval Office with the president and asking him about this. He's like, it's not even it's not even a good idea. Russia Trump collusion. Think about this. You're going to have Carter Page try to do some release of DNC emails or or Hillary's emails. You don't know what's in those emails. You're going to create an electronic trail that links you to. I mean, if there had been collusion, the Trump would have gotten nailed. You have to be a moron to do this. Right. And, and now they're saying, oh, he only wanted an announcement of an investigation because we're not even sure. We're not even sure Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. First of all, he's going to this great length. They're assuming this is all done in bad faith. When what if he really thought that there was corruption going on with the former vice president and his son, which now there's more and more stories about this Biden and that Biden, different members of the family getting really rich. All of it just influenced peddling. But look at the way that they covered for Hillary Clinton on her Clinton Foundation, which was a global influence peddling scheme done in plain view of the public. Yeah, a Russian state bank really paid Bill Clinton a half a million dollars for a speech because his speech was so good. Sure. It had nothing to do with his wife being secretary of state. This is the center of the swamp. There are a lot of people in D.C. who like being on the boards of companies because of who their relatives are. They like, you know, because they know this person or that person, they get a big speaking engagement, you know, worth 50 or $100,000, you know, more than the average, average American makes in a year. They'll make in a 30-minute speech over lunch somewhere nobody remembers. There are a lot of people who like this to continue, who don't want to see this end. They also don't want anyone to start to look into what they have done. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about hangers-on of politicians, family members of them. This is the center of the stinky swamp. And meanwhile, you have Adam Schiff going around saying he didn't even want the investigations. He just wanted the announcement of them. Why would why that? There's no way that that is true. And if that was the perception of some of the people around Trump, it's just because they aren't very smart themselves, which is also possible because Trump does not always pick the best people. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. It's the truth. Not even close to the best people. But of course he would want the investigations because he clearly thought there was something up here with Hunter Biden and his son because anybody would think there's um, uh, something up with Joe Biden, rather, and his son Hunter. Anybody would think that. So why wouldn't Trump think that? Guy's making a couple million dollars for you know him and his partner at Seneca, whatever it's called, the... Uh, LLC they had set up, a couple million dollars to do nothing when they have no credibility or expertise whatsoever in the subject matter. Yeah, that looks dirty. This is how corruption cases start all the time, by the way. The appearance of corruption is what often leads the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to begin an investigation. There's more than just the appearance of corruption in this case. It's corrupt. It's just a question of, is it illegal? But Schiff says he just wanted the announcement. No, that makes no sense. And then you also have to get to, even if the investigations had happened, Democrats weren't going to abandon Joe Biden because of that, and everyone knows it. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Will Trump get the wall done before re-election? This is important. This is not a, a minor question. This is not something that we should just... Uh, skate past. We should be. We should remember that 
one of the primary chants heard at Trump rallies, those incredible rallies. Hopefully I'll get to one this year. You know, I've never been to a Trump rally, Producer Mark. Never been to one. I mean, I feel like I've watched dozens of them at this point, but I've never been to one, which maybe we should. Do you want to go set up and do one at some point? You you want me to come to one with you? Yeah, of course. You know, go to a rally. If there's one in New York. I doubt there's going to be one in New York. Probably not. I'll have to go somewhere. Go hang out. Go hang out where real Americans live. That sounds like fun. Instead of this this commie cement box in New York City. Somehow I don't think he's going to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that would be fun, though. It would be fun. Anyway, the... Build the wall chant was one of the defining one of the defining sounds of the Trump election campaign back in 2016. And if you look at what has happened, there has been there's a lot of debate still over what the likelihood is the president's going to manage to get a lot of new wall up. Although upgraded wall, I can tell you, I've seen it. I've been there. Upgraded wall is dramatically different from what is there. It does help. It does matter. The old fencing in a lot of parts of the border is six feet tall, corrugated metal that, you know, you could get over. It doesn't slow you down enough at all to allow for arrest. You're, you move across it too quickly in too many places. The 30-foot tall fence that has been put up in place of that six-foot fence, about 100 miles of that, I think, has been done. That matters a lot. That helps a lot. And it is assisting border patrol with their with their job. Now we're supposed to get hundreds of miles of of new wall, new new meaning in areas there's never been wall before. Um, we'll have to see that's a court battle. Uh, there's a an issue right now. I think there's a judge in Seattle who is uh, is looking at this right now. Um, all it takes is one federal judge who decides that it's not acceptable anymore that the Trump can that the Trump presidency is doing everything that it can to to build the wall and and you will have a a big problem. They'll just put a universal injunction in place and you won't be able to do it. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I wanted to give you some updates on the wall. First of all, this got very little media coverage a few what was it two days ago. You had an area of the Mexico Guatemalan border. Remember that it's a lot of Central American migrants who want to make their way through Mexico and then into the United States. And they've been claiming asylum and going through this process. Now, we've tightened up the asylum procedures a little bit. There's been a drop off as a result. But I do think as the weather gets more conducive to it, you will see more people in the months ahead probably trying to cross uh, illegally in the United States. But there was an an area of the U.S. I'm sorry, of the uh, Mexico-Guatemalan border where migrants just overran the soldiers there and said, what are you going to do, shoot us? And just we're running across a river that separates the two countries. So be prepared for this to to ramp up again, especially in the election year. Democrats, because of their kids in cages rhetoric, and, and just as, as an aside from this, because I've already seen some of this today, the among the dumbest and most dishonest talking points you will ever hear is when people say, Republicans don't care about being pro-life because they're not pro-life for the kids who are in cages at the southern border. The kids are being held in temporary detention facilities for like 24 hours. Only a moron compares that to killing a baby in the womb. That baby's not gone for 24 hours, gone forever. I I, I don't know. But you'll hear this. This is also like the dodge you'll hear from... Some members of the clergy, including Catholic clergy, who I feel a particular 
animosity toward when they stray from the tenets of their own faith and try to give these, you know, these socialist totalitarians at MSNBC and CNN somebody in a Roman collar to give them some greater credibility for their schemes of state control and redistribution of wealth and, oh, yeah, and, and being pro-choice and be, you know, all these other things. Uh, you'll hear them say, well, I'm not just pro-life in the womb. I'm, you know, as a Democrat, I'm pro-life for all phases of life. The stupidest stuff. I mean, people are so gross with how they talk about this. It has nothing to do with anything. I mean, imagine if I was walking around saying, hey, guys, you need to raise money. We need to raise money for, for cancer research. And somebody shows up and goes, well, well, what about this, this you know, shelter for, for kittens down the street? You know, don't they count, too? Why do you hate kittens? No, I'm trying to what does that have to do with anything? I'm trying to raise money to save people's lives with cancer. You're going to talk about something else. What does this mean? But it's just it's just a distraction because they can't they again, they can't win these arguments. So what they do is all these externalities come into play. And, you know, you see this anyway, it's just remind, you'll see this at the border when people because you have the March for Life going on right now. And I've already seen people on social media saying they don't really care about life. They only care about life in the womb. Yeah, why don't we start there? Let's not let's not allow for the killing of life in the womb. And, and then we can also all have conversations about what being pro-life for the rest of one's life means. It means that you get to just come to any country you want and take welfare benefits, break the law, break other laws. And it, does this mean the dissolution of the nation state as we know it? Because anyone can just show up and we don't have. And what does it really mean? Democrats on the issue of immigration have become an extreme party, extreme. They are extremists in a few areas, abortion, climate change, uh, immigration, increasingly on the issue of, uh, you know, the the country's finances and, and the economy in general. But they're incremental there. They need to achieve more power before they can put in a more fully socialist scheme. That's the plan. This is really the choice between Biden and Sanders isn't a choice between a socialist and a, and a free market capitalist. It's a choice between a slow socialist and a fast socialist. And I don't mean in like a foot race, obviously, but, you know, somebody that will get us there very rapidly versus somebody that will continue the incremental drift towards socialism. The Democratic Party has been engaged in for the last, well, for as long as it's been around, last hundred years as it is, const- is constituted today. So... That brings me then to what are some of the things the Democrats say? I mean, they obviously they oppose the wall, even though everyone will tell you that a wall wall works. Rodney Scott, I was telling producer Mark, Rodney Scott's now the head of Border Patrol. Carla Provost had been head of Border Patrol. I had done some interviews with Carla when I was in D.C. Rodney Scott's the guy who was very kind and hosted me when I went down to the U.S. border at San Diego between the U.S. and Mexico. And he spent a lot of time with me and walked me through all their processes. He's a great guy. And he's now the head of Border Patrol. So, you know, Trump does get some very good people in some important places. And this is one of those. I mean, Rodney Scott's a A-plus guy. And he's going to be trying to make sure that in this election year, we enforce the law and that Border Patrol is doing its job. We're not going to have this hands-off, left-wing, open borders policy that's constantly being advocated. Um, But to really get a sense of who these Democrats are on this. You can just hear what they say about immigration and about immigrants, and that tells you all you really need to know. Here is, for example, Joe Biden speaking about DACA recipients. Play 13, please. These kids have come. 
they've done well. Most of these kids, there's over, there's a lot of them, and they're not just Hispanic, they're uh, Asian Pacific Islanders as well. And they, in fact, have done very, very well. In many cases, there are more Americans than most Americans are because they have done well in school. They believe what they, the basic principles that we all share. I think they should be, in fact, fine, put on a path to citizenship. A path to citizenship? Not even, remember, back in the Gang of Eight days, when he had Marco Rubio, and his, he, politically he never really, well, he never recovered really for a bunch of reasons. But, you know, back in the Gang of Eight days, you had all these promises made about how amnesty would not lead to citizenship, which obviously also means voting for people that are here illegally. And now you got Democrats saying, oh, no, 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 it's citizenship for people with DACA. And if it's citizenship for people under DACA, it'll be for their parents, too. It'll be for their families. All of a sudden, you know, the, the 1.7 million under DACA becomes 5 million, becomes 7 million, becomes it's a mass amnesty, and they're all citizens. Goodbye, Republican Party ever winning another national election in your lifetime, by the way. Do you think the Democrats aren't aware of that? you think they're not seeing this for what it is? Of course. Look at the look at the scheming and the plotting of Pelosi and her and her co-conspirators in this whole impeachment fiasco. You don't think they're aware of the long-term demographic implications of a mass amnesty? Of course they are. That's what motivates them so much. That's why they get so excited about the prospect of this. But Joe Biden also says here that DACA recipients are are in many cases more American than most Americans because they have done well in school. What the heck does that mean? First of all, can we stop with the, like, everybody who's covered under DACA is, you know, winning, like, a Westinghouse science prize, and they're all geniuses and national merit scholars and brilliant and amazing? I'm sure some of them are, but I'm sure a lot of them aren't. So I, I hate this game that the media will always do of, like, look at the, the, the people who are here illegally. They're all amazing and doing amazing things. And then we say, okay, well, what about... What about these people covered under DACA who are like members of MS-13 who are literally cutting people's hearts out and like amputating limbs and stuff as part of their gang activity? <gasps> Why are you being so – that's so racist for you to bring that up, that there are people that come from other countries and cultures who are covered under DACA and then they're, you know, involved in bad things. Well, why do we have – we can hear about that there are some involved in good things. We can't hear about that there are some involved in bad things. If they're using – that everybody in DACA is a valedictorian as a talking point so that we'll say, OK, fine, I guess they all get to be U.S. citizens rewarding their parents for breaking the law and illegal activity. That's what that is. Right. If you if your parents cheat on their taxes and your parents give you a, a new Ferrari or a Maserati, I'd probably go with a Maserati if money was no object. But just because I think they look cool. Guess what? When the tax man comes and, and the, that Ferrari, that Maserati, whatever, either one that you have, you don't get to say, oh, no, no, but but my, my parents gave it to me and they cheated on their taxes, but it's mine now. No, they would take it from you. They would say, sorry, ill-gotten gains. That principle they're saying doesn't apply here. Now, Trump has been willing to negotiate about the fate of DACA uh, recipients if there were other very important changes made on immigration. That's, you know, politics is... Oh God, I was going to say politics is the art of the possible. It's like people don't come to this radio show to hear such trite nonsense. But there is some negotiation involved in this. You have to work within the reality around you. But Joe Biden's attitude here, I mean, he's clearly trying to get the left wing base and particularly minority and Hispanic voters uh, fired up for Joe Biden's candidacy. 
He can they'll say things like this. And in, in fact, the, the common refrain from the left for a long time has been that illegal aliens are better than Americans. Like they're just better people. We're based, I mean, there's millions of them. There's a lot of Americans. It's a, it's a strange thing for an American politician to say. But this has become culturally acceptable. This is a form of virtue signaling. If you say that we're lucky to have all the illegal aliens we do because they're more hardworking, do the jobs Americans won't do, get in trouble less with the law. They have this all these statistics that they'll they'll cite, which, by the way, are also usually cherry picked and not true. But that's a whole other thing. Um, they always will conflate legal and illegal immigrants to get to the conclusions they want about, quote, immigrants. But when you look at illegal aliens and you actually look at criminality tied to their illegal status, false documents, not paying taxes, et cetera, et cetera, it's a lot of lawbreaking going on among the illegal alien community on a regular basis, things that would get you and I in trouble, but that don't get enforced against the illegal aliens. Also, just notice how I call them illegal aliens, because that's what it says in federal statute. That is the designation for people who are here illegally. It is not undocumented. That's an Orwellian, politically loaded attempt to change the way we think about a group of people who are in violation of the law. You want you don't want them to be in violation of the law? Change the law and change the way they're described in the law. Don't expect me, just because a bunch of morons at CNN will do whatever they're told by their social justice overlords, don't expect me to just change the way I speak about it because that's what they do. I don't think so. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And since we're talking immigration, I'm also meant to get to this. There's a story earlier this week about the uh, efforts of the administration to crack down on uh, birth tourism as a, as a thing. So this is it's pretty straightforward, right? People come here, particularly these days, the largest numbers they're seeing uh, people come from China. Um, I think people also are coming from Russia, but it's mostly uh, from East Asia. You're having large tens of thousands of people come to America explicitly so that they can give birth on U.S. soil, which will be paid for, by the way, by taxpayers. Oh, yeah. You get to pick the bill up for that. If you're an American and you show up at a hospital and you're going to pay, uh, friends of mine who have had babies, which I have not done yet, it's like, I think it costs like 20 grand on average. I mean, it's expensive to go through the whole process of, of having a baby if you're actually going to pay for the services yourself. Um, so they come here and they get to just go to the hospital, and obviously they don't turn away somebody who's in labor or pregnant, so you just get to have the baby and then... Go back to your home country. But, oh, that's right. Because of our it's not because of the Constitution it's because of an interpretation of a constitutional amendment that has never been tested in the courts about a natural uh, about a natural born citizen and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Right. Subject to the jurisdiction thereof is the key clause here. But they say that if you're born in this country, even if your parents are here illegally and you're only here temporarily, you're a U.S. citizen. So people game the system. It's exactly what they're doing. They show up nine months pregnant. They go to a U.S. hospital. They have the baby here. Baby gets birth certificate. Birth certificate leads to passport. Right? They then are U.S. citizens. And then they'll go back to China or they'll go back to Russia or they'll go back to wherever. And so they live in the other culture, and there's no allegiance to America whatsoever. There's no effort whatsoever to be Americanized or American. They're foreigners who continue to live in a foreign country, but they've just gathered the the nice little uh, uh, benefit 
of U.S. citizenship that they get to hold on to. And then when they want to go to an American school, guess what? You want to go to university in California? Oh, you're a U.S. citizen. You're good. Just move there, live in that state. And now all of a sudden you can be somebody who's lived the first 18 years of his or her life in Beijing. And you get to have the taxpayer, including federal taxes that goes to all the subsidies for not just student. I mean, all, all, the federal taxpayer backing student loans, but then also all the subsidies that go directly to these universities, uh, which there's a ton of taxpayer dollars that are being funneled into, especially state schools, but schools across the board. And you have this option. And, and the Trump administration has instructed under visa, the way that you get a visa, you got to go, you sit down, you talk to a consular officer. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I haven't gone through this process myself, so I've only read about it, but effectively they can now ask questions about, hey, are you just coming to America? Are you just getting a visa to go to America to have a baby? And can you pay for it if that's what's going on to try to discourage this practice? And of course, the left and the mainstream media are, are outraged that anybody would try to discourage this. I mean, they're pretty open now about how they want America to get scammed. I mean, they want the United States to be scammed as long as it's being scammed by foreigners who are likely to return here and vote Democrat. That's it. No, no honest person says that we have a, we have a sound immigration system when somebody from China or any foreign country will show up here Get, you know, for, for a couple of weeks, give birth here, have the taxpayer pay for it, go back home and just keep as a kind of option value citizenship, full citizenship for that child to be used at a later date whenever he or she decides that they want to use it. Uh, this is the system we have. Does anyone really think that's what the founding fathers had in mind? Come here, have a baby, and then, oh, then you get to come here as a U.S. citizen, by the way. All the welfare benefits, you know, that you're entitled to, uh, all the benefits of voting, all the benefits of citizenship. Perhaps never until you're an adult living a day in this country. That's the system we have in place. Maybe somebody should challenge that. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was listening to uh, Ross Garber, who's one of our, our analysts at CNN, who has been a, a lawyer for many impeachment trials. And he was saying that there's too much focus on the facts and the evidence and not enough on the emotion and maybe even visual aids. The sound bites, for example, have been the most compelling. Maybe things like maps of Ukraine to really hit home what they're talking about when it comes to the dire consequences, potential consequences of what the president unintentionally sound analysis here from Donna Bash of of CNN. CNN has this whole this whole crew of like Democrats who kind of take the NPR. We're just going to be very mellow in our analysis all the time. So it seems like it has more gravitas than it does. But they're just all pushing the same stuff. They're all Democrats. They never say anything particularly interesting. They're not particularly learned, but this is where it is. But uh, Donna Bosch there actually stumbled onto some truth, I think, accidentally. Um, first of all, the, that their focus so much on the facts and not on emotion is laughable. So she's wrong on that. She's wrong on that because you had Adam Schiff. I mean, this guy, it's like he was auditioning for some really self-important, pompous Aaron Sorkin movie. I mean, you could just hear. The whole thing was like straight out of the... That, that TV show, The West Wing, or The American President with Michael Douglas. You know, oh, all these. I used to have to watch this stuff growing up. And I was like, why is it the Democrats are always the good guys? And 
There's always some bad guy, usually with a southern accent, who's like a Republican, who's a bad man. And, you know, you're like, well, why is this always the entertainment that we get? And that's because libs, libs dominate media, libs dominate Hollywood. Um, I don't know if you saw this. It turns out that I think it's uh, almost 100 to 1 in terms of donations for professors, college professors. I think the Campus Reform Group had that out this week. It's some crazy number. Basically, all college professors who donate to a political party donate to Democrats. I know that's not surprising, but when you see the numbers, it's staggering uh, how politically not representative colleges and uh, colleges and, and universities are. But anyway, so Donna, Donna Bash here is saying they're focused too much on the facts, not the emotion. This thing is all emotion from Adam Schiff. Um, that, that's they're just this is all just anti-Trump theater. But I, I do think that she's also reacting to the fact that it, she says, oh, we need more maps and things like such as the Iraqis don't have them and the maps like such as the Iraq. Some of you will get that. And the truth is, it's just so boring that they know they've lost. I mean, every day the ratings are going down. Less and less people are watching or no fewer and fewer people are watching. Boom. Because we can count the number of people. Uh, they're they're not watching because there's nothing really to see. We already we know the argument. They can keep trying to make it a big gaseous speech about how this is the fate of the republic and Adam Schiff and all that. And then you know, speaking of gaseous, you know, Jerry Nadler comes up there. You know, the whole thing. It's just it's a total mess. Uh, when ultimately it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It's not going to fly. It's not going to get it done the way they want to get it done. Um, and there's some long-term damage that is being done in this whole process. I mean, here's here's Senate. Lindsey Graham has been good on this. I got to tell you, Lindsey Graham has been good on this particular topic. When Lindsey's over the target, he does a good job, and he's over the target on this one. Play Club 11. I've been involved in two impeachment trials. This is the second one. Uh, I just want to make an observation here. What the House managers were proposing yesterday is basically to destroy the institution of the presidency as we know it make it naked when it comes to partisan impeachment, not have a venue to go to court and litigate privileges that have been exercised by prior presidents. When it comes to Donald Trump, they're willing to destroy the institution of the office in the name of getting him. So bottom line, the Clinton impeachment was conducted by outside counsel. There's none here. Ken Starr spent five years investigating the president before we took up the matter uh, in the House. The president was allowed to cross-examine Ken Starr at the uh, House Judiciary Committee. He recommended 11 grounds for impeachment, and President Clinton utilized the courts extensively on his behalf. He's right. They are attacking, they're undermining institutions while pretending to defend them. This has become a Democrat, uh, a Democrat recurring theme, and that's what we see happening here. Uh, it's it's stunning that they pretend that the best thing that could happen for this country right now would be the removal of the president. Think about that for a moment. Uh, I was telling you in the last hour about how the re one of the reasons they hate the president so much here is because... He is successful and he has also kept faith with his base. But let's even think about what it would be like the day after the removal of President Trump. Think about what Trump voters, the contempt, the rightful contempt that they would have for our elections, for our institutions, 
a president has never, never in, what, 230, 40 some odd years at this point, uh, never been removed from office. Presidents have have started wars they shouldn't have started. Presidents have put people in internment camps they shouldn't have. Presidents have, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on here, folks. President has never been removed. You're going to remove this guy for this? Uh, you think that this is impeachable? Jay Sekulow, actually, in some of his better moments, I mean, he, he raised this issue, too. But you think that this is enough against this guy? Play uh, clip five, please. You know, we've got something very different than what you're hearing up here. Uh, you're hearing, you know, video clips of testimony. We've got lawyers that are going to be put forward when this, when our side of the case goes. That represents multiple schools of thought on what is and is not a peaceful offense. But they have one thing in common, that the actions alleged and the actions of the president do not reach that level, no matter which school of thought you're on. And we're not afraid to put out both of those schools of thought because our position is you still have to meet basic fundamental constitutional obligations they certainly have not. They haven't won. I have, I have not heard or seen a single Republican that I know who has been even in the least swayed by any of this. Because anybody who is intelligent understands the politics that are driving all of this, and this is an entirely political exercise. They can dress it up as much as they want, pretend that it's something else. It is not something else. And then you just have the, the there's the, institutional realities of this, what it does to the institution of the president, how now all of a sudden Trump does not have the same rights that presidents before him have had. But that's it's nothing new, really. Right. This is Democrats will change any rules they want as they go along. Uh, but then there's also the the prospect of the removal of this president and what that would do, given that we're in an election year. And I mean, the election is not far off. It'll be here. We're going to be sitting here talking to you. Producer Mark and I are going to be talking to you about the election in a in very short order, as it's you know about to happen and as it is happening, they really think that removing the president in this year in this way is fair. Let's use that word. Let's use the F word here. Fair. They think that's fair. Fair to the American people. Fair to the people who voted for Trump and fair to the people who are going to be voting in the future. I can't get over that this is just a desperation play by Democrats who recognize that their electoral prospects, given the field they've put forward, are not strong. And they'll do anything to try to rig the game in their favor. Uh, Lindsey Graham, again, he gets it. Play clip, uh, producer Mark, play clip one. I have said consistently I'm not going to uh, grant witness requests by the defense. They could have called all of these people if they'd wanted them in the House. They denied the president his day in court, and I'm not going to legitimize that. There are a bunch of people on my side want to call Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I want to end this thing sooner rather than later. I don't want to turn it into a circus. I think Schumer said yesterday we're not willing to trade Joe Biden for anybody. I think I know why. I want the American people to pick the next president, not me. And so what I think is the best thing to happen is to have oversight of Ukrainian potential misconduct and move on to the election. I am not going to use my vote to extend the trial. You know, I am consistent on this one because after Benghazi, after the Benghazi uh, attack, 
and the lies told by the White House under the Obama administration, by Susan Rice, by Barack Obama, um, CNN's efforts to help Obama in the debate against Romney via Candy Crowley, uh, with all that going on. I remember saying, and those of you who have been with me now for many years watching the show, listening to the show, that our, our chance for real accountability went away the day Obama got reelected. It was up to the voters to factor in Benghazi and the incompetence, the lies, the, um, the lack of, of, res- of response when our people downrange were in jeopardy. But I said the moment, and I, people don't want to hear it, by the way. Oh, we're going to get him in the hearings. I said, no, not with, the, not with Obama and his people in place and the executive branch. No, you're not. You know, we want to have the hearings to find out some more about what happened. All right, fine. But it was never, it, it never going to move the needle, my friends. Once Obama got reelected, and that was why, going back to slow roll, that was why it was so important that it wasn't thought of as a terrorist attack on 9-11 right before the, the uh, American people went to the voting, voting booths, right? Had to kind of delay, delay, oh, we'll get the answers later, we'll get the answers later. Once Obama was reelected, there was never going to be any accountability for that. But I, I accepted that that was reality. You know, and they know, the left, the Democrats know, that if Trump gets reelected, a lot of the schemes they've put in place— uh, won't have borne fruit, won't have been successful. But then this is where I get into, I don't know if I've made this prediction yet on this show. Um, I believe that the House of Representatives, if it is in Democrat hands, will uh, refuse initially to certify the presidential election when Trump wins. I also believe, and I tweeted this out, that uh, the Democrats will impeach Trump again in his second term. They'll find an excuse. They'll do it Again, and this isn't entirely this isn't just a a political thing that has it's a perception battle. There are consequences that are, I think, being forgotten here. One of them is that with the Senate tied up, my understanding is with the Senate tied up as it is right now in this proceeding, you know, they're not they're not putting judges through. And Trump has been the best president of my lifetime, better than Reagan. Okay, let's be honest, better than Reagan on judges. Trump has been the best president of my lifetime, putting constitutionalists on the bench, all levels, Supreme Court on down. He's a, he's a, and McConnell, give him credit too. Lean, mean, judge-confirming machine. Cocaine Mitch gets it done. But right now they're being tied up by this whole nonsense of the Senate trial. So there are consequences to this. But I do believe that the Democrats will refuse to certify the election results and then will also impeach the president again. We'll be we'll be back here again. They they have a fever and the only prescription is more Trump impeachment. I mean, they can't help themselves. These people are nuts. There's they, They've reacted to this whole Trump presidency in, in deranged fashion. So don't expect that to stop anytime soon. That's going to continue. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. President said in an interview yesterday at Davos that he will take a look at cutting Social Security and other entitlements after the 2020 election, and that it is actually, he said, the easiest of all things. The president promised that unlike other Republicans, he wouldn't touch Social Security and Medicare. He's already broken that promise and gone after Medicare. Now it looks like Social Security is in the president's crosshairs as well. Even as this trial, even even as this important trial continues, Americans should hear 
that the president is casually talking about cutting their social security at a Swiss ski resort with the global financial elite. Don't you just love the the demagoguery here? You know, every president goes to Davos. I mean, I think the whole place is pretty much a joke, but, you know, presidents go, and maybe there's some worthwhile discussions that happen there among world leaders, whatever. But Chuck Schumer's, you know, <laughs> he wants to take your social security. He's in Davos with the global elite. Also, what's with Chuck Schumer having wearing, like, reading glasses that are are down around, like, his upper lip. I mean, they're way, like, his glasses are falling off his face all the time. Is this, like, a look? Is he going for this? Is this a, a new style I'm not aware of? Not that I'm some style critic, as Bruce or Mark will tell you. But uh, I, I got to say, it just struck me as a little odd. But, uh-oh, the usual, the usual demagoguery from Democrats about dealing with entitlement programs. Look, this is where, this is where we see if, conservatives have the courage of their convictions we are spending too much money as a country no one likes to hear and this is like boring i feel like everyone just wants oh let's get back into the fights over trump we are structurally unsound in our finances as a country we are 22 trillion dollars in debt the overwhelming whole i mean the overwhelming majority of the whole in our uh in our finances our, our deficit year to year out comes from medicare and somewhat from Social Security. Social Security is not that hard to fix. Um, it's going to run out of money in 2030-something, I think, but that's when the trust fund runs out. That's what they say. Um, but you'd have to just do, you'd have to raise the retirement age and do means testing. That's it. People don't want to hear that, though. They don't want to hear that. And a lot of older people vote, as we know. So are Republicans even going to follow through on this? I think the answer is probably not. In the meantime... I think what you are going to see is a continued effort to just have people like Chuck Schumer go forward and just lie about this stuff. Just be unwilling to be truthful with the American people about how problematic it is that we have the debt that we have, that we are spending this money in this way, and that we have to. Politicians cannot continue to get votes for themselves by giving out benefits to people today that future generations have to pay for. That is all that is happening. Boomers don't like to hear that. Boomers, I'm sorry, that is reality. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of millennials, a lot of people in their late 20s, early 30s are walking around saying, so I'm never going to get to own a house. It's really hard to uh, to build a family and get married under the under the uh, circumstances of the economy these days. You got Obamacare that's already taking money from people in the individual market who are healthy and young to give to older people who are sicker. That's all that. It's just a redistribution scheme from young to old. That's what our entitlement system is right now. People say, oh, but I've paid into it my whole life. Yeah, but you're taking out twice what you put in. That doesn't work. That's what Medicare is. It doesn't work. You know, I mean, this would be, you know, you, you get back from the bank what you put into the bank, you know, with interest. You don't get back from the bank twice what you put in because somebody told you that that's what you're going to get. And that's the system that we have. So Schumer knows that this is very, uh, this is a, highly effective plan to just attack Trump on this issue. But I think bad news for America, but good news for Trump is that he's not going to do this. He's going to back off of this. Nobody will touch entitlements, folks. I'm here to tell you. No one's going to touch them until we all face a lot of economic pain. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's hour three here on the Buck Sexton Show. Man, Friday is flying by, which is very exciting for me. Um, what's also very exciting is that uh, we can talk about Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Oh. 
It's like she could walk in any moment. Buck, why are you making fun of me on your show? I just want to help the people. I'm only worth about $12 million, so I want to make sure the rich pay more in taxes. And Producer Mark likes to say that she just gives out free stuff. So if we ever do bring her in for an interview, how much are you going to ask her for, Producer Mark? What do you think you can get from Elizabeth Warren? I'm not a greedy person. Maybe like 100 bucks, something like that. Only 100 but I mean, doesn't... Uh, sure she doesn't just carry barrels of cash around with her to give out. Now, Andrew Yang wants to give everyone 1000 a month, though. So yeah, I feel I like you should prorate $1,000. But he would say you only get one day's worth, probably, which is what's a what's one day of 1000 About 30 bucks, yeah. roughly, 33 I don't even I'll take any free money. That's probably a good point. Yeah. yeah, I want that Yang. I want that Yang cash. That UBI Universal yeah. Basic Income Yang cash. He's worth a lot more than twelve million dollars. Oh, he's rich, isn't he? I thought that was his, his Silicon deal. Valley yeah. guy. I don't actually know what he's worth. We should find that out. I know Elizabeth Warren's Google worth it. six to twelve million, but you know who's not worth six to twelve million dollars? The guy who went up to Elizabeth Warren and said, "Hey, I got a, I got a question for you." Um, so I sh I really struggled. And really worked hard and worked two jobs and did everything I could to pay off my daughter's student loans. And we're paid off. But you're telling me that I could have just, like, gone out and got a new car and done whatever I want, done whatever I wanted. And then you would just say, well, for the people that still have loans, I'm going to buy your vote by having the taxpayer come in and give the money necessary for you to pay off these loans. Producer Mark, would you please, let's hear from this gentleman, uh, clip 14. I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I saved all my money. She doesn't have any student loans. Am I going to get my money back? So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. He made more than I did. I worked a double shift. I worked extra. My daughter worked. She was 10. So you're laughing. You can tell this guy's actually upset. And he clearly has personal, uh, you know, has this personal experience of having worked very hard to pay off loans and then turns around and then, you know, he turns around and he's being told by Elizabeth Warren, oh, you know, well, if you've got student loans, we're going to make them disappear. We're going to make them go away because that's the right thing because the millionaires, and, you know, she gets that higher register when she starts yelling and go, oh, my gosh. Make it stop. Hello? It's not that. It's not quite Hillary bad, but the millionaires and the billionaires going to pay more in taxes. Uh, uh, that's not going to, they're not going to cut it. But yeah, you got over a trillion dollars of student loan debt, and she's going to just make it a trillion, trillion with a T, folks. That's a lot of money. Going to wipe it away for everybody who makes less than 50K a year, I think it is, or up to 50K in debt if you make less than 100,000 a year, something like that. Um, and it does raise a, raise a very interesting question. I know people who, and I remember this, so I went to this Jesuit scholarship school in New York called Regis. It was a very good place. And uh, you go for free. So I went to high school on a full ride, a full scholarship to a private school, but didn't pay a dollar to go. And uh, there were a lot of kids who are my classmates who had to make the decision as to whether they would go. I remember one student in particular was a friend of mine. It was he got into Harvard, he got into UVA. UVA offered him a full ride. Harvard, and this is before Harvard now. Now Harvard is need blind, so you can actually go, and if you qualify, you're, you're, you don't pay. But this is before that. This is, you know, I'm old, so this was a long time ago. And Harvard was going to be roughly, you know, 45, 50K a year. This is back in the late 90s. And he, the guy chose to go to Harvard, and his family, you know, had to try to come up with a way to, you know, help him 
do that, and he took out loans and had to pay them off, and I think he's paid them all off now. He went to work, in a, I think, as an investment banker. No surprise there. The point here being that this, this was a decision that millions and millions of people have had to make. I just spoke to somebody recently who, who made the decision to go to a law school at a state school as opposed to going to a, a, a considered a higher-ranked uh, private institution for law school because of all the money that, that uh, he got to go to that school. And you ask, okay, well, these are decisions people make based on the economic realities of the time. Now we're just going to come along and just sweep away the debts of how is that fair? For someone, there are people in this country right now who will have paid off their student loans this year. They'll be there. They're, I don't know how many there are, but there'll be people that make their last payment this year. And some of them will have been paying off loans for years and years, maybe decades. And if Elizabeth Warren wins the presidency, other people are just going to get 50K wiped away. Just bloop. You don't have to pay it anymore. How is that fair? Do the Democrats have an answer for this? And I have a different question as well. Okay, maybe um, I didn't take out, you know, maybe I didn't take out student loans, but maybe I ran up credit card debt because I paid I paid for my education. But I also then had to make different, uh, you know, economic choices elsewhere in my life. So let's say I've got twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt, which is really scary, by the way, because a lot of credit cards, the APR on those is going to be about 25, 30%. I think my, I think the APR on my credit card, if it goes long, is like 30 almost. It's crazy. That's every year. Just bloop. They're just taking money from you, right? So can I, can I then I apply and say, hey, well, hold on. I don't have student loan debt. I have other debt, but I went to college and because I had to, you know, sp- I didn't want to have non dischargeable student loan debt. So I had to make other. Do you get those debts wiped away? Why not? People, is it less. You know, is it less necessary you have gas in your car and food on your table than it is that you went went to get a four-year degree somewhere or, or an, a graduate degree? Why does Elizabeth Warren get to do this? And remember, she's not saying, oh, we're just going to go through the Congress. She's claiming that she's just going to direct, if she becomes president, this is just a giveaway, folks, a giveaway to millions of voters. It's a buying them off with taxpayer dollars. She is claiming that she will just tell the Secretary of Education under her presidency to modify the loan so you don't have to pay them anymore. This is very similar in theory to what Democrats in the past have done, including Barack Obama, with using prosecutorial discretion as a means of getting around what the law actually is. So what they'll say is, oh, we're not enforcing a de facto amnesty on immigration, for example. We're just not going to deport people that fall into the following categories under our prosecutorial discretion. I, I am also somebody who has been, and I, I can't, you know, I'll, I'm truthful about this always. I'm always truthful with you. I've been favorable toward the legalization of marijuana in the past, but it should happen at the federal level. This state by state thing, this isn't really the way it's supposed to go. I mean, the federal government still has it on the books that it's illegal. And so by giving this wink and nod system to states to say, well, we're going to kind of let you do it in your state, even though that's not what the law says, that's lawlessness, folks. It's not good. The federal government or the federal legislature should take action and say, OK, we're going to we're going to leave this to the states and take marijuana off the Controlled Substances Act uh, Schedule One. I believe it is they're, They should do that because that would be a more lawful approach to this instead of what they're doing. So Warren is just saying that she'll tell the secretary of education that these loans should go away. But, you know, she had no answer for this guy whatsoever. And because the, the real answer is political expediency. The student loan issue is just a, it's a giveaway. It's just, OK, we're going to we're going to pay off people 
who are going to vote for this platform. Notice, you know, President Trump didn't come into office saying, I'm going to wipe away a trillion dollars of student loan debt just because. This is a Democrat plan. I mean, this is the equivalent of that person who runs for student council in high school and is like showing up with, with cookies, by the way. Speaking of which, producer Mark, who showed up with a warm donut for you today? Who showed up with a warm donut for producer Mark? That was Mark? you. You did. That's right. Thank you. And was it, it was cinnamon and you enjoyed it? Yeah, it tasted like French toast. There we go. Yeah. My, that's actually used for my brother's company, which is called uh, Suzy's, S-O-O-Z-Y-S. They have fantastic gluten-free baked goods, muffins and donuts and soon-to-be bread. And I eat one every morning. And so I wanted to bring one in for my friend, producer Mark, today, and that's what I did. Yeah. If you didn't tell me it was gluten-free, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, I mean, other than the fact that you were eating it. Right. Well, that would but have yeah, been, yeah. Really, that giveaway. That's real YOLO stuff for me to just be like, I'm eating gluten today. That's no, not good. No, that, you'd that's be, not, <laughs> running, be running in and out yeah, during the exactly, show. Yeah, yeah, that would not be fun for anyone. But so, you know, we brought in some some. I'm, I'm glad that you liked it. I could actually tell I he did. actually really ate it, did, folks. Yeah. It was They're delicious. I mean, it's fantastic. But people sometimes have to try gluten-free products to understand how good they can really be. Um, but yeah, no, Susie's, my brother's company. It's a great, uh, they, they do really good stuff. So I was thinking of warm, oh, but if I showed up with warm donuts for everybody in my student, you know, a student council election, they might vote for me, but I'm kind of bribing them, right? I mean, this is essentially a taxpayer-funded bribe via, via Elizabeth Warren to all of the people who will have their student loans modified so that she can uh, she can be the next president of the United States. This is not good. It's not the way it's supposed to go. I do not approve of this, my friends. And she does not have an answer for the question, why is it that this is, if this is a, an issue of fairness, why is it fair that the people who did the right thing and paid off their loans uh, all of a sudden now, that was, a, it was a really a wasted effort. That was money that should have been put toward other things in their lives. All, all it took was Elizabeth Warren to come forward and be, become president. Well, I'm seeing a lot of people that I know think that it is going to be Warren. Uh, I've seen – this has been, happened in the past, but I've seen a surge of people saying that, you know, this is the – we're going to see this play out in, in Iowa, New Hampshire, but they really think that it's going to end up being Warren. I, I, know, I don't know. I don't know if uh, – I don't know. Like no, nobody really knows where this is going to go and how this is going to – shake out but warren is every bit on policy warren is really every bit as bad as um bernie sanders there's really not much of a difference between them uh she's a socialist folks she's a socialist she's just one that seems a little more polished and erudite than the kind of crazy crazy bernie running around uh, but make no mistake about it i mean that would be a a really a really bad path for America to go down if she were to become the president of the United States. And, you know, I, I think that it's a very realistic possibility. And things like student loans um, and raising the minimum wage, these are areas where it doesn't matter how many studies we show. It doesn't matter if we win the argument. People like this stuff. They like the idea of, de of student debt forgiveness. Uh, they like the idea of raising the national minimum wage so that it becomes $15 an hour. They like these things. And Warren is pretty pretty slick with all of it. And then I'm also just still in utter amazement that after her debacle of, oh, yeah, I'm Native American. I'm 1 1,024th Native American, that she's even a serious contender after that. You almost have to respect how shameless she has been since that, but really how shameless she's been all along. I mean, it takes a certain determination and a, and a certain je ne sais quoi to go through life as a fake, go through your professional life as an adult as a fake Native American. 
that's a that's a challenging thing to pull off. And she has. I mean, you got to be a little delusional, very dishonest. But she is those things and more, friends. So don't count her out for the election. And we'll see what ends up happening with this uh, student debt forgiveness situation. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. I really think that the Drudge Report is going overboard here to try to get everybody really scared about coronavirus. Um, you know, you got now there's a case in Chicago Drudge Report, I see says here, and you got all these different states on alert. I really don't think um, I really don't think that this is going to be something that turns into a pandemic. I don't know, but I, I do know that we've had all these different scares in the past for you know H1N1, you know, bird flu, swine flu, all these different flu strains. And as I said, the flu kills thousands of people every year. So the flu is, I mean, I was going to say nothing to sneeze at. That's terrible. But you know, <laughs> sorry, that's the only thing that came to my mind. But I mean, the flu is a serious, serious business. Um, did you like that? that was, I mean, technically, the flu is something to sneeze at. It is at. something to yeah. sneeze at, actually. That's a, that's a good point. But everyone just needs to calm down a little bit. Is it's gonna be it's gonna be okay? I, I think we'll we'll be all right. Um, there's quarantines in China, but you know China quarantines people for a whole lot of things. And I, I've got to say, um, the one thing about this that that has gotten a lot of attention for me is did did you see this, Bruce Mark? That they think that it may be a result of people eating bat soup. And, and there's yeah, a photo that's other weird animals too. There, there's eating. it's circulating that there are people in the world who will have a bat effectively in their soup, sure. like an actual. You can see it's a bat as like part of the oh. the whole thing, and they eat the bat and the broth that is surrounding the bat. I will tell you, I hear that it tastes like rat, which and, tastes like oh. lizard, which tastes like chicken. Have you ever had rat? No, I'm totally making this up. I have no idea. Okay. That's a totally false statement. <laughs> like, are you that just was going rat catching on the subway? That was absolutely fake yeah. news. But I got to say, if you're telling me about an animal that I have to eat, not including insects, an animal that I have to eat, and you have to have the whole animal in the thing that you're eating, uh, that would be like top ten least. Yeah. You know, top ten like least exciting things for they me to eat. Some weird things in Asian countries. I, I'm I'm familiar. Yeah. I know you've been there. So no, but I'm like, I know yeah. that they, there's some there's some stuff that gets eaten. I mean, I thought I was pretty badass because I ate crickets in Mexico, but that's not, that's crickets like standard. like now. an American thing. Yeah, now. it's becoming, I know, there's like crushed cricket protein. The Seattle Mariners eat. are famous for that now, toasted crickets, and, and that's one of the things they have in the ballpark. You're kidding. Not kidding. They In an American baseball yes. stadium, they serve toasted crickets? Every year crickets? they have like a Major League Baseball like uh, food thing they do in NYC, and that's the thing the Mariners send. That's cra- I did not know that. Yeah. That's crazy. But how, okay, now this is the question I have to ask you. How much for bat soup? How much would I have? I'm, I'm, I mean, like cash no on the barrel. What amount you, of money. And but you and you're taking a risk of getting coronavirus. Yeah, there's by, no amount of money. I'm not risking my life for any amount of money. Yeah, but like I mean, come on. I'm sure a lot of people have bat soup and are just fine after. <laughs> just fine after. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that. I mean, you know, it's a delicacy. Yeah, no. I have things to live for, you know. Wife, eventually kids. Yeah. Not happening. Yeah, that's like the the uh, scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I think is the lesser of the three real Indiana Jones movies. You know, sure. some people think it's the best. I think it's probably the worst. 
I think the the first one is the best, and then the Last Crusade probably comes after that one. But when the, she sees all them, she goes, "Such pretty birds!" And he's like, "They're vampire bats!" And it's like, "Oh, mm. vampire bats are kind of scary." Yeah, I wouldn't go to eat them. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, bats are among the creepy, and there's a reason why Dracula. It's like bats, rats, uh, wolves. Wolves are cool, but like they can be scary. Obviously, they're cool looking. Yeah, they're you cool looking. But they're scary. There's dogs, but yeah, you wouldn't want to get too close to one. Um, but yeah, no, bats are like very. They're just above tarantulas and snakes mm. and scorpions for me in the, in the creepiness factor. There's a reason none of those animals are at zoos. Yeah, and and it's interesting to me that this is what people are now saying is how, how this outbreak may have started. I'm just I'm just going to put this out there. Maybe we should think twice about bat soup as a thing. You think? Yeah. Yeah. But then again, there are also parts of the world. I mean, this is a thing that. You know, in the in the global illegal global animal trade, there are people that will they want um, rhinoceros horn for their soup because there are these stories that that'll make you. It's just keratin. It's what your fingernails are made out of. But there's this belief in some indigenous cultures that that'll make you a particularly, shall we say, a particularly manly man. Mm. And so that's been part of the rhinoceros horn trade. Uh, that's why they, they they kill rhinos so they can use the horn for this like powder that they'll put in yeah. soups and things. Aren't they extinct? Or, or like endangered? They were. They're very endangered. Yeah. yeah, they're not totally extinct. I mean, I think the, I forget if it's the white or the black rhinoceros is one of the most one of the most endangered animals. So this in the is world. a very illegal thing to do. Highly yeah. illegal thing, but people still really believe it. There's also, they also take a part of a, which we'll not talk about on air. They take a part of a tiger and use it for a soup, which they uh -huh. also believe is for virility. You know, people eat that same part of a bull like as a delicacy. I mean, have you ever had a Rocky Mountain oyster? No, but I will tell you that <laughs> bulls, you know. They're food. Tiger is not food. We're tiger food. Bulls are, you know, steer are food as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So you can eat a, by the way, that reminds me. I have I have a little bit of brag, a little bit of bragging to do about something, which I want to share with, with you and uh, the rest of the team. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Bruce and Mark, I have my family over for dinner uh, my parents and my sister and their adorable, very chubby French bulldog that I'm now not allowed to say looks like a baby seal, according to my mom. She heard yeah, that on the show. you are not allowed to say not that. Not allowed to say no. that. She so does not look like a fat white seal that just moves its blubber across the yeah. tundra. No, that is not you, what the French looks like. You cannot say that. I cannot yeah. say that. No. Um, but I, I made them a roast chicken dish. As I told you, I'm actually decent in the kitchen because of my celiac disease. I sure. had to learn. I did something um, that I've, I've did, done before, but it's been a long time. I did a reverse sear on an American Wagyu-style, I think it was a butcher steak. So it's hmm. a Wagyu-style butcher steak. I think it was called a Zaboni steak or something like that. It had some kind of funky name, but it's Wagyu-style American. Sounds expensive. It was. Yeah. It was good. But I made one for myself because I wanted to test it out. And, of mm -hmm. course, I wanted to be a little bougie with my red meat choice. And I did the reverse sear technique. You got to try this. It's a game changer. So here's here's all you need to know for the reverse sear. And by okay. the way, this you, you will make a steak for yourself. And for everyone listening, I'm going to have to make a video of this so everyone can see me do it. You'll make a steak for yourself that is restaurant quality at home hmm. without having a grill. You know, you know there are other things you can do where your steak's going to be amazing. No, no, this is stovetop oven, all you need. The only things that you need to do this properly, really, I mean, the only sort of additional toolkit, cast iron, got to have a cast iron because you, you're not going to get the heat up enough on a... And, you know, Lodge, I would love to get Lodge as a sponsor because I have, like, four Lodge cast iron things at home. I got the whole kit. Game changer. We'll get the sales team on yeah, it. Yeah, we got to get the sales yeah. team on that because Lodge is great. Um, but you got to have a cast iron, and then here's what you do. You put the meat in the oven, 
and the thing that everyone skips is you got to let that meat rest, get to room temperature. Do not put cold red meat in the oven. You got to get the meat to rest to room temperature, and you feel in touch. It be like, okay, this meat is like it's been left out of the you know fridge. Sure. Now it's time to go in. Salt it as soon as you take it out, so the salt will seep in. Salt and pepper liberally, because remember you're also going to cook some of that off. So you let the meat come to room. Only temp- thing you do liberally. That's right. Yeah. The only thing I do liberally. Is seasoning your meat. Seasoning my meat. Yeah. Thank you, producer Mark. Correct. And so then you you put it in the oven, 250, and you leave it about, depending on how thick, you know, this is the only part of it you got to sort of, you know, got to game it out a little bit. I would say leave it for 30 minutes and then check every five minutes. Um, but you have to have a thermometer because otherwise you're not going to know because it looks terrible. When do you do this? Like it looks like your meat, like the meat looks kind of almost like it's like a meatloaf. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a meatloaf. It's like kind of gray, red, like it's not really that that appetizing. You stick the thermometer in there. You want it, for me, medium rare, 120 is perfect. You can go to 125 if you're going to be a little, you know, a little bit more on that. And if you go to 130, you're a wimp, but that's okay. It's your choice. It's your meat. Uh, and then you take it out. You put that lodge cast iron. Don't use olive oil because olive oil will burn. You use a higher heat oil. I actually used bacon fat that I saved for this purpose, wow. which was amazing. Bacon fat in the lodge cast iron. Wait, I mean, Turn that heat up until you you get you see smoke rising off the pan. That's when you're good. And then you sear about one minute each side that steak. I'm telling you, man, choir of angels hmm. singing, reverse sear. I've never heard of that you will, before. You will you will make it perfect if you do it right, and it's not hard. It's just you just got to be in the process. Because so here's the problem: if you don't do it this way, uh, if you do it this way, you're going to have an amazing steak, and it's going to taste like something you get at a steakhouse and pay in New York $70, $80 for. I mean, steaks in New York are crazy. That's why Jesse Kelly has to buy me a steak here, because I was right about Nancy Pelosi, and I want to make him pay. So uh, steaks you know, can be very expensive. If you don't do the reverse here and you try to cook on a stovetop, the problem is you're always trying to guesstimate the internal temperature of that meat as you're cooking, as you're cooking, as you're cooking. And if you miss the window, you'll overcook it. And obviously, if you take it out too soon and you know you get your stone cold in the center that's gross now you've ruined your so it's just a lot easier to get the perfect internal temperature of that meat cooked to medium rare which is what civilized people eat their red meat at biggest problem i have with trump biggest problem i have with trump is he a well done guy well done with ketchup oh. i don't even know what to say about this i did that when i was a kid yeah, i know uh, well done with ketchup. I mean, other than that, thank you, President Trump, for saving saving America. But you, we got to get you to start eating medium rare meat. This is just, I or mean, just, medium. I would let it go, but just pink well meat. done. Yeah. It's crazy. So anyway, I know people like you, their steaks black and blue. Check out. Yeah, yeah, I know that, that's a little much for me even. But I would say check out producer Mark when you're going to cook uh, for for uh, Mrs. Producer Mark. Well, there's one problem with that. What she does not eat red meat. What? It makes her sick. What? Yeah, she eats chicken and pork and everything else. Oh, okay. Like, she's no it's red just meat. Beef. Huh? Beef makes her. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, make it for yourself when she's gone. Yeah. Dude, go. The other thing is. That's I've, why I've, I usually eat steak out. I've learned the cut. This was an expensive cut, of, but butcher steak, if you can get it somewhere, is a great inexpensive cut usually. It's why they call it the butcher's, butcher steak because usually the butcher keeps it for himself. It's inexpensive, but really, really tasty. Butcher steak is great. Skirt steak. Um, I mean, ribeye is fantastic, but you get a dry aged ribeye. You're spending, you know, even for yeah. one steak for one, you're spending twenty twenty five bucks. Is dry aged better? I never know. People always say that. They say that it locks in more of the flavor. I, you know, I, I, I kind of go with it, even if it's marketing. I don't care because I love red meat, so I kind of go for it. But it's more, it's more expensive for sure. I don't sure. know if I've ever had one because it's so expensive. I'm like, I might as well just get the regular ribeye. Yeah, I mean, it's worth. It's you should worth try, it. and then, yeah. and then you could compare. But I'm telling you, man, when you're cooking for yourself, do All the right. do the reverse here. I made it for myself last night. O to the M 
to the G. I'm sure you can do that with other things other than steak. Yeah, probably. Probably like a pork yeah. chop or yep. something. Yeah. You can do it with all, all kinds of these things. So, uh, so good times. And with that, why don't we do some uh, roll call if we would, sir? The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. All right. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be in on the action here. Um, again, you can also send us a team buck at iHeartMedia.com, which is the company that we work for. So that should that should be pretty easy to remember. Let's get to it. Zach. Uh, here we go. Uh, he writes, hey, Buck, just want to let you know, uh, let producer Mark know that I, too, use roughly three stirring straws to drink my mixed drink. Look at you. You got a, you got a kindred spirit on your excessive straw usage, you environment basher. Hey, it's not that abnormal. Yeah. Hmm. I've never heard of this before. I'm learning something new here. Hmm. So you go three straws to gives you just more. Uh, more two or three, whatever. More you know. stirring capability. Stirring capability and, you know. Drinking your, your drink Ups your stirring gauge. Okay. I just prefer a straw to, you know, especially with mixed drinks to get the ice all over it. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Adam. Hey, Buck. So on the new logo, did producer Mark talk you into the full underwear model photo shoot? Uh, Shields high. I don't think it's producer Mark's fault. Yeah, no. I didn't even do. I didn't even know you did a photo shoot until yeah. I saw the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, it's uh, artistic rendering. What can I tell you? But uh, it is. It is. Yeah, there, it is. there are some interesting poses you did. I mean, hopefully they're not all up on the on the internet. No, yet. no, no. I okay. have them all. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I just did whatever they told me. They're like, "Buck, put on a mankini." I was like, "Let's go for it." Yeah. Just kidding. It that is very happen. awkward when a photographer is taking a photo shoot of you. Like I did that with the wedding engagement photos. It's just like I don't want to. I don't stand in these positions. Why am I? Yeah, I just also want to be like, "Excuse me, like I'm a model and I and I just like I, I can't work under this pressure because I'm very." <laughs> Um, I'm sure you actually did voices. I'm very perfect and, yeah. and sensual, and I just want you to capture all of my essence. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I, I'm not. The one thing, the one thing in media that I'm never particularly comfortable doing is the photo shoot stuff, just because I'm like, there's a reason. I, there's a reason that I do radio. So, Andrew, here we go. Hey, Buck, newly commissioned Marine Corps officer here. I really enjoyed Ben Weingarten filling in for you. He's an excellent host, very smart and informative. I listen to your daily show, and it helps pass on my downtime here in training. I'd love to hear any stories you might have about Marines in particular to work with during your time in the CIA. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Andrew. Andrew, thanks so much, man, and also thank you for your service, sir, and God bless, and I hope all's going well in the Corps. Uh, I worked with a number of former Marines, so guys who were you know active duty, and some of them had, had been in, in combat roles, uh, in infantry combat roles, and then joined uh, what I was doing the CIA later on. And I'm mean, the short version is I just love Marines, man. They're awesome. So you know, they were always really fun guys to talk to, really good at their jobs. You, you could trust them. You knew they were all in for the mission. So not, nothing but love and good things uh, and good feelings about, about the Marines that I worked with. You know, they, they always acquitted themselves incredibly well, uh, both professionally and personally. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'll try to think if I have any any specific stories, but the stories I would have would be the Marines in doing stuff in CIA officer capacity, not as Marines. So it'd be a little bit different. Be like, hey, man, like, did you did you manage to change the filter on that coffee machine? Woo, yeah. 
It's because of CIA analysts do. A lot of coffee drinking. Uh, David Shields High. Whoa, this is, a, this is a long one. Shields High, Buck. We need to beat them at their own game. And then David writes a lot more. David, thank you. I can't get to that right now, but there we go. Um, Hold on a second. Uh, Ruth. Hey, why do you have Bloomberg advertisements on your podcast? Producer Mark, would you actually like to handle this one? Because you know the answer to this one. Why do we have Bloomberg advertisements on our podcast? So I don't know if it's directly with the law, but uh, you can't, you know, equal opportunities for both sides. So we have to give Bloomberg ads. We have to give yep. Trump ads. Yep. It's not, not up it to is. us, guys, the way it is. The same thing yeah. with, like, your local TV station. They can't just run Republican ads. There's FCC stuff. That, yeah. No, no, F, yeah, FCC, FCC yeah. and maybe FEC, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's there's regulations that come into play. So we if we're doing political advertisements on the show, as we are, you know, pay, campaigns can buy space. We got to sell to both sides. That's the way it is, and that's on the podcast too. I don't control those ads; those are automatically put in. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Turn your radio down for 30 seconds if you really don't want to hear it, but uh, they're going to be there through the election. Yep. Um, all right, Casey, Yo Buck, why do you guys have such difficulty getting your podcast up on iHeartRadio? You guys have about a 25 percent success rate with uploading your podcast prior to 6 p.m. Pacific time. Come on. Case? I mean, Pacific yo. time? Yeah, that means 9 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, no. No... Uh, so I did see this message. I was hoping you would read it on air. I don't want to automatically just say that's false, but it's got to be your phone because I'm all those tweets you see from at Buck Sex and the Facebook messages, those are me, and I'm taking the iHeart link an hour after I post it, and I'm tweeting it out. So that, if that's around 2 or 3 o'clock Eastern time, so there's no way it's not up six hours later. That, that's definitely on your phone. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, I would have. Yeah. We also Impossible. would have. We would have thousands of these messages, exactly. and not one if this was the so, case. Yeah. So, okay, Casey, it's. I think it's my friend. I think it's a tech issue with you, uh, but we do appreciate that you want the show up sooner, and thank you for that. Um, and if you still have a problem, just address it to um, Grouchy Mark, and he'll he'll handle it. Uh, Julie, <laughs> hey Buck, love the show. It's truly the best one. I just want to say that Bill Clinton's impeachment matters so little that Hillary Rodham Clinton was a legitimate presidential candidate twice and that no one seemed to legitimately care that he had a chance of being back in the white house in a position of power trump's impeachment doesn't matter now and it won't matter to any side of history ever this is all for nothing and it's almost always appropriate to quote wayne's world so keep it up shields high julie well thank you julie we're not worthy uh it is in fact uh i, I agree with you that this impeachment thing is going to all be it's going to be viewed as a whole lot of Remember when we used to have the government shutdowns and there was a lot of theater around that, oh, the government shutdowns, and, and like it never really shuts down for long, and then it always goes back to normal and no one really cares. Uh, this impeachment is not really all that much more momentous, I would say, than those government shutdowns. I don't think it really, I don't think it's going to change anything. Uh, but it does show you how crazy Democrats are. So you got to remember that. The Democrats are absolutely nuts. Susan Buck, is Nancy trying to help Joe Biden get the nomination with the delay of the articles of impeachment? Why would anyone think the Democratic nomination wouldn't be rigged? It's possible, maybe probable, that Biden has to win in their view so that they keep the dark secrets and they will be kept in the dark. Um, uh, Susan, I would think Nancy probably is a Biden. You know, if she had to, her pick, I think she probably would want Biden to be the nominee. Although I don't know what, what Pelosi and Warren's relationship is like. That would be interesting. I, I have no idea. I don't even think I've ever heard one talking about the other that I can remember in any meaningful way. 
Um, I think Pelosi's probably a Biden supporter. And I don't think that she's trying to gain this out to help Biden specifically. I think the most important thing to Nancy Pelosi is Nancy Pelosi and still being Speaker of the House, if she can, starting next year at this time. She wants to keep her position. Uh, Tom Buck, first time writing, long time listener. Love the show. Veteran law enforcement and love the insight concerning the big issues. Shield sign. Keep up the good work. Tom from Minnesota. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for keeping our streets safe, and thanks for writing in to tell us some nice things about the show. Producer Mark and I, who both work our respective butts off on this show, very much appreciate it. So thank you, thank you for that. And uh, let's see what we have here next. We have um, Gina. Thanks, Buck, for reading my comments. I never comment on all the things I listen to you for. Um, I have total command of all that is happening. I listen to talk tw- talk radio 12 hours a day, literally. So I keep it to the offside topics that I seem to know a little about. Um, myself and my family adore you. Keep doing what you do, and I'll be there to discuss powder wigs and emo. Gina. Well, Gina, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we had some more notes about emo. I think people said that some of the bands that we brought up as emo were perhaps, like, pop. Uh, what was it? Pop. Um... Uh, uh, what was the thing that they called it? Uh, pop punk. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. Uh, they've gotten more poppy over the years. Yes, yes. Hmm. Pop punk. What was the last live band producer Mark saw? Oh, it's been a while. Probably Coldplay, re- realistically. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you like Coldplay so much. Because I can picture you as the kind of guy that would make fun of somebody for liking Coldplay, yeah. but you're all about it. Yeah. You just dig into it. The people I've seen the most are Coldplay and the Red Hot, Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, my God. I uh, can't chili Peppers are great. Yeah. Uh, what is the best Coldplay song? Um, I mean, only you yeah. only get one. Yellow. Yellow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That makes. Sense. I mean, that I have was, to say that now with my wedding. Was that song. from Parachutes or was that from the other album? You know what Parachutes. I mean? It was Parachutes. Yeah. Right? That was early. That was like their first single. That was their first yeah. big one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Now look at that. Ryan Buck. I really want to hear some techno guests come on the show to talk about the case for man-made climate change. I follow many. Some of them are actually in the midst of a say we're in the midst of a cooling trend when the data fraud is accounting for. If you're on board with this, let me know. Send some suggestions. Ryan, please. I love getting suggestions. We don't do a lot of guests here on the show because I am I guard my time with Team Buck jealously. Um, you know, I, I have a lot that I want to say to you every day. We don't do a lot of guests as a result of that. Um, but I'm happy to review any recommendations you have. I'm certainly up for learning new things and uh, talking to you about what may work. And so by all means, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, just almost all of them. But I don't have all of them. A lot of them. Uh, please do, speaking of answers, when someone asks a question, hey, what should I do with my weekend? Listen to the Buck Sexton Show. Also, watch us on channel uh, 248 Pluto TV, the first. Uh, that's the channel that we are on. We have new, exciting stuff. Dana Lash just joined the channel, which is great. We're so happy about that. we got more awesome people coming on board as contributors. Building a little conservative revolution digital, baby. Check it out. Have a great weekend, everybody. Shields high.